So we have our second guest with us today. Our second guest is Heather. So Heather, do you want to introduce yourself? My name is Heather, and um, I have for many years taught orientation and mobility and a TVI for students in Wisconsin. Okay. Great. You, uh, you see, is there anything else like that you want to tell us? Like, we know you're a mom and you have a family, and she's well, amazing. My husband and I have seven kids, and um, five of the seven are blind. So we do a lot of uh, orientation and mobility in this household <laughs> every day. That is awesome. Our third oldest is blind, and she is in her last year of nursing school so hopefully pretty soon she'll be working as an rn yay yay that's awesome yeah we're real proud of her she's doing great that is awesome she's gonna make a fantastic rn i just oh yeah she's been a cna for probably two years now so she knows the grunt work part of it it's just getting the licensure so she can get paid better (laughs) yeah she really has like the your caring personality and really sweet. Like I know I know she's gonna be amazing with patients and stuff. So that's awesome. She's doing real well. And um I have another son who's um gonna be a father again for number Aww. two in June. Yeah, so gonna be grandbaby number two. And um so that's exciting. And then he's got a a little girl, like a stepdaughter. So she's technically number three. So we're looking forward to that. And um, going to be having, hopefully, um, a second year of uh, the Bell program here in the state. So that's exciting. So we've just got to hammer down a place to hold it. We wanted to get some place a little bit bigger than last year. Once we get that going, we'll be doing that again. And um, just about everything else, NFB has got their state convention coming up in a couple weeks. So um, spreading the word about that. It's going to be great. It's being held back in um, well, the same place it was last year in Milwaukee. So it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, the agenda is pretty full already and still more people oh, to put in. So it's going to be a crazy Wow. <laughs> yeah. And now yeah. tell our listeners how you're associated with the NFB. How far up the rank is your family? Um, well, John is the president of the state. And he's also a board member. Um, we met at a convention back in 92. And um, I was a counselor at Colorado. And um, we met there and um, it was in Charlotte in 1993 and I was a counselor again and we met in Dallas then we got married in 1995 and then we went down to LCB and were there for a while teaching and so the kids have been um you know involved since the time they were weeks old in fact um we learned we were going to have our first one in a at a convention (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, so they've been involved all, all their lives. So it's been a good way to raise the kids. And it's, um, you know, allowed them to have lots of role models and uh, 
realized that, you know, philosophy is 100% of it just about. And um, that there's really no barriers except themselves. So, right. So they've, um, you know, never doubted what they were capable of. When you know, your daughter comes to you when she's a fourth or fifth grader and says, I'm going to be a nurse, you say, Okay, better get in good grades. <laughs> that is so sweet. <laughs> wow. So she's, she's, you know, she's pulling, she's got about a 3.8, 3.9 GPA. So. Wow. And that's, yeah. And so, um, you know, being involved in the Federation is great because when she wanted um, a role model or someone she could talk to about how to do this and that, we had people that she could turn to and ask. And um, that's a big part of it is, you know, teaching the young or, you know, and the young realizing that they're not getting where they're getting on their own. You know, there's been people before them that blazed the path for them that allowed them to get in the spots they needed to be. You know, I know you don't always want to be a quote-unquote role model, but um, how you handle situations now will affect a child down the road. Yep. So That is true. I totally agree about, about the whole positive role model thing. It's good to really be an example for children because the children today are the future of tomorrow so but I I did wanted to ask you what made you because I know like you like you've mentioned you were an O&M and TBI in your town's school district so can I ask like what made you be, be interested in becoming an O&M I saw too many kids that didn't have problem um of um coming across kids, you know, at conventions that weren't sure of themselves or actually doubted their abilities to be independent. Um, and, it, you know, it's very disheartening when you hear some of the things that kids are told. And um, kids that just had no, they had no confidence in themselves. Um, and, you know, I used to tell my kids when they were young that it doesn't matter if you have a PhD. If you can't get yourself to work, what difference does it make? It matters nothing to be book smart if you can't problem solve and you can't get yourself to work or get yourself to the store or get your child to the hospital when they're sick or to the clinic. It doesn't matter if you have that PhD. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just so important, and you know, to have students that couldn't, or rather, you know, in some instances, actually couldn't because they never, um, but had did not have the confidence in themselves to be able to, you know, dispute, you know, other people's thoughts and um it really bothered me when I would see people that had no idea of what a blind child or you know was capable of doing influencing these child either purpose or not on purpose it's done nine tenths of the time out of ignorance you know it just it became vitally important in my thoughts that 
you know, if this child isn't able to go down and be with their friends, if this child's not able to the mall with their friends or don't feel confident enough to do so, then they're missing a big picture here, or the big picture. And, you know, it's kind of the same way with, you know, alternative techniques, such, you know, Braille's a big one. And you have parents that will say, oh, you know, my child doesn't, doesn't need Braille, they're able to do their classwork. And I'd say, that's not fine and good. How many hours a night do they do their homework? And parents just say, well, what do you mean? I mean, how many hours a night are they up doing their homework? Because, you know, the average kid is doing two to three. How many hours does it take your kid to do their homework each night? Well, you know, they're a real good student, so they don't mind being up late. How many hours a night? Well, sometimes four. Okay. What about their, are they doing homework on their weekends? Well, yeah. And then I would bring it up. So when are they going out with their friends? What do you mean? When are they going out with their friends? Are they being normal kids? You know, because I'm sorry, a kid's going to burn quick if, they're, if it's taking them three times the length of time to do their homework. You know, I have one kid. Oh, they're, they're a straight A student. That's great. They're reading six hours a minute. Average sighted kid when they graduate high school is reading three to four hundred. You know, your child's reading a fourth the speed that the other kids are. How are they going to compete in college? I mean, it's it's never done. It's not done to be mean. It's you know, I mean, sometimes that just kind of slams the parent in the face that they're not realizing. Oh yeah, my daughter doesn't go to the mall with her friends because she's doing her homework. Okay, so what's important now? Why isn't she going out with her friends? Besides because she's doing her homework. Is it because mm. it's taking her four times right. the length of time to do the homework than it should? And what's being impacted? A lot. Same with mobility. Okay, why isn't she going on dates? Well, she is afraid to right. be, you know, what if she has to go to the bathroom? You can't ask the guy with her. Parent doesn't think about that. You know, you need to worry about, I mean, as a mom to teenage girls, one of my girls to be able to take off if the, I'm sorry to say this, what if they were a jerk? <laughs> I want them to be able to get up and walk out and get themselves somewhere safe. They needed to be just like any other girl would. I guess the reason I thought more about right. this stuff is because I was a parent as well. I could look at it from both sides. And I knew what went on, you know. So, you know, I think that because parents realize, look, talking from a teacher standpoint. So, so that's why that's why I did O and M. Okay. So can you? Uh, so I know I know that you are familiar with structured discovery, but you're also familiar with comms, right? Can you explain well, just a little bit about what comms is? It's a certified orientation and mobility instructor or certified orientation and mobility specialist. Comms was developed back after the war to provide people that teach orientation and mobility skills to the newly blinded veteran. These instructors at that time, of course, were sighted instructors. And it was, you know, done mostly at the hospitals. And, you know, Heinz in Chicago was one of them. And it is now a certification or a licensure that is 
done via the ACPREV, which is the, um, okay, I'm trying to think here, is a licensure that's uh, it's a national licensure. People are required every so many years to show that they've done so many hours of teaching and or retake the national exam. In order to take the exam, you have to have been you have to have graduated from a program, and um, I, I I'm going to be off on this, but probably three or four in the U.S. There's one in Michigan and uh, San Francisco, and um, Pennsylvania or Pittsburgh, and then there's um, another one in um, Pennsylvania. It's the College of Ophthalmology. I'm not sure of the exact name of it. It's a program that for a very long time um, would, I can't say wouldn't, but they they tried very hard to adhere to this philosophy that you know, an instructor needed to be cited. And it was more based on not necessarily you as the instructor having the skills. And in order to be an instructor in a school district, a lot of the DVR you know, positions in different states, you had to become certified. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, it's um, the uh, instruction methods are different. The recommendations as far as types of canes, cane lengths um, are pretty set in stone. They are pretty yep. high on, you know, the sternum mm-hmm. length for the cane and, uh, the different types of, of tips that they have available would be like the pencil tip or your nylon tip canes. They are not so strong in problem solving as they are more along the lines of rote memorization and finding routes that are safest for students, not necessarily, um, well, what if something changed in your route? How, you know, the problem solving part of it was in a lot of times in my position it lacked that part of it. Um, it was very sequential in, in the way skills were taught uh, one of the parts and, and again these are just things that are a lot of people wouldn't consider them really important but to me they were it made a difference in um, as far as you know, before the student was learning with a cane, they had to learn trailing, wall trailing, and different types of cane techniques, uh, you know, which order they were taught and when they were used. So it was pretty much sequential and laid out. And it, again, um, kind of, in my opinion, it de-emphasize problem solve or the necessity to even problem solve that if they route you know by rote memorization that it would take the need to problem solve out which we all know doesn't occur I mean there's always you need to problem solve I'm trying to think if there's anything else you know that would um, most of the time the instructors are, are cited and so yes. there, there's been kind of a tug of war over whether, you know, it was safe to have blind instructors or not. And um, 
you know, so that was always a kind of a, if you got your staunch O&M people that had been around for a long time, they didn't even want to discuss that. And we all know that, you know, some of the best O&M instructors I know are blind, you know. Yeah. So there, there's a lot to be said by knowing that your instructor is not asking you to do something that they can't do themselves. And I, my students knew that if I was asking them to perform a route or a skill or a task, that at any given moment, I was more than willing to put on shades and do it myself. So normally you do that one or two times and you've got your students' attention. So, um, but with comms, a lot of times, you know, your, your, your O&M instructors are put on shades, but, you know, it's not, it's not a significant amount of time. So. Right. So I have a question. With comms, do they work with uh, students or individuals? Like, do they work with them using the vision that they have? Or, like, yeah. do they? Okay. Yeah. And comms, um, you're encouraged to always assess how the student is using the vision have um, in fact your your you know suggested that you ask your student how are they seeing today and my thoughts always on that was well we're not learning how to see. <laughs> so yeah um it, it just it was kind of, you know yes mm-hmm. um you you are to emphasize what they have that's useful how to utilize it to the best that they can so and my concerns as an instructor were always that you know especially when you have somebody that's low vision is their acuities change especially if you know depending on what the diagnosis are is exactly. um, that, but a lot of times a kid can't tell you exactly how they're seeing or they yeah. won't tell you because they don't want to say it um and so a lot of times yes exactly you know, it's very a relief to them when they don't need to even worry about that. Right. Uh, or sometimes yeah. there's people who have good vision days and bad vision days. Like sometimes vision changes on lighting. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, just different conditions. Yeah. Or if they're in a familiar area or if the tasks they're doing, I mean, you can get a kid that can, you know, can see a car right up in front of you but you know they're not going to see it three miles away (laughs) you know but I'll tell you something I can sure hear it three miles away (laughs) Uh, you know when they and once they figure those types of things out it doesn't matter if they can see it you know they're using their hearing they're going to hear it and that's what they need to be doing so yeah like I I remember when I was younger I used to be terrified of um, crossing streets because I thought that cars were just going to come straight at me. Oh, yeah. Um, it floored me one time when I had mm-hmm. a kid that couldn't, and we were talking about your um, line of threat, which is basically mm-hmm. which cars in the gift, you know, is it the car that is closest to you? You know, left to right of the car that's going right to left and 
well, it's the car that's going to hit you first when you step in the lane. And so that's the car you want to be listening to. The kid couldn't tell me what side of the street cars drove on as far as if, um, say, if if a car was headed from east to west, it didn't know if it was in the lane closest to you or the lane furthest from you. Um, He couldn't tell me if you gave him a a strip of, of street which direction each car went, you know, if you had a two lane road, mm-hmm. um, oh, wow. I don't know how to explain it, but I was, yeah, he had no idea what direction cars went. And it's because, yeah, he was always listening to him and he had never been explained that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, kids safely, and it doesn't matter what kid normally they say that until they're about nine, it's, they are not able to make judgment as far as when it would be safe to cross a street. So, so oh. a lot of people don't even show kids diagrams of, of streets and stuff till that till that age, because it's pretty much assumed that they're not able to safely make that judgment. Um, I mean, my daughter Katie was doing it in kindergarten, but <laughs> that yeah. was because. That was because she was uh, <laughs> responsible when getting everybody, you getting her little sister across the street. Run <laughs> <laughs> at kindergarten. And, uh, <laughs> her orientation and mobility instructor got a call from the principal wanting to know if it was safe for her to cross wow. the, the street by herself. Well, what they didn't say was the fact that my husband was standing there making sure she crossed properly. Um the principal actually called her O&M instructor and asked him. And he said, are you kidding right. me? He said, that kid has better orientation mobility skills than most of my high school kids. And he said, she's crossing a small little road in front of the elementary school. I think she's got it. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, they could have just asked her and she could have told them when it would be okay to cross. And that would have answered the question. Yeah, no. well, not only that, but her father was standing right there. It wasn't like she was exactly playing in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I know, I know. Joys of being a parent. <laughs> well, he... oh, go on. No, 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 no. Go ahead. You were gonna ask. Oh, ask I, something. I was, I was just gonna mention that as you're explaining this, I never knew the terms before until until you're explaining this, that um, I actually had comms training to begin with, and then I had the, um, the structured discovery training. And it was really difficult. I, I remember telling myself, I don't know which is worse, learning game travel or trying to erase everything you learned before and learning a new cane travel. You know, like, it, it was that the, they were so... Um, they were similar in some ways, but they were so vastly different as far as the techniques and things like that. And it was just travel has always been my weakest, uh, my weakest skill set, I guess, when it comes to the um, different uh, the different classes like Braille and and cooking and all of that. Travel's always been the most difficult, but um, it is quite. It is quite a different adjustment, and it is hard to go from 
learning the with vision you had and then that vision changing and then learning structure discovery it was like wait no this is how I learned it okay now I now oh it's different okay but I did see a huge difference in the different techniques and I, I did um you know thrive in structure discovery a lot more especially considering the vision I had when I used the comms training was much much better like at its peak um, and then it got worse. So I, yes. I do know firsthand the differences, um, in each training. And I'm thinking back as you're, you're discussing it to, uh, my experiences mm-hmm. and stuff. So, um, it is possible to get both the trainings, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I've kind of, my method is I use a lot of the stuff right. of structured discovery because I guess I was lucky enough that that's what I was taught first. Um, and it's what makes the most sense to me. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I can ask you this. Were you ever taught to trail a wall with your hand? It's structured discovery. Yeah. In structured discovery? Oh, not as no well no (laughs) you know i mean no it's because i i was about to say like the whole wall trailing thing i in high school i was terrified of walking in crowds my o&m instructor was like no you don't need your cane inside you're fine you're fine you're fine and i'm just like okay and i'm like well i run into people i trip i am terrified of walking in crowds and she's like oh well if you're terrified about walking in crowds trail the wall trail the wall get by the wall and trail it and and then also her other thing was like oh you can get out one to two minutes early before the bell rings so I you had can get to class that, um, so you're not he wouldn't stop trailing the wall and i was constantly use your cane you know if you want to figure you know if you're near the wall just you know do a two-point tap and find that you know every once in a while to see how close you he would not do it well he learned the hard way that maybe it was smarter to use a cane than to be trailing a wall with his hand. Uh, he was running to class trailing, and somebody oh. opened the door out. <gasps> oh, no. Kind of a hard oh, way to learn God. that. If yeah. he had been using a cane, he would have been far enough away to have cleared that. I have never heard of that method, and just listening to you explain it boggles my mind that that could be an option even you know like it just doesn't make sense to me and 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 they also don't you know i mean you think of school hallways now i I mean kids sit in front of their lockers and go through their book bags yeah um sit in front of lockers and just chat and if they're happen to not be chatting Mm -hmm. while you're running um you know you're gonna get surprised exactly there was no way to do that technique in my school I I don't know how many people were in my graduating class but once the freshmen came in when I was a senior we there were so many kids in my school that we couldn't even have assemblies with the entire school because there were so many kids that auditorium couldn't fit the entire school so that would have worked my students were all required to have their canes and I mean, there was no option. Um, you know, I told them, unfortunately, I can't control what they do at home. 
but at school, you know, safety is my job and they're not safe without their canes. Um, I don't mean to sound that, you know, oh, person isn't safe walking around. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that with all the kids that were in the hallways, I didn't want to risk either them getting hurt or them hurting another kid by running over them. And if they were using their canes right, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So... We were so, talking earlier about pencil grip and the oh different God, grips um, to use with the cane before you came on. And, um, you know, there are techniques to use. What would you, um, as far as snow travel, what do you find the best way to teach um, cane travel? And can you explain a little more about, like, how difficult it can be to travel in the snow? Well, they, you know, mm-hmm. they call snow a blind person's um, It's really, really photosensitive. Uh, snow, the glare on snow is awful. And um, so for, you know, yeah, a, a lot of times, you know, it makes it a lot easier yep. if you're not using your vision. Um, you know, most of my kids, you know, they use their, you know, my students were never, how do I say this? I never worried about a cane being too long. I worried about it being too short. And, uh, but, you know, I had a couple of teachers that would say, oh, well, that cane is too long. You know, they're, they're, they're hitting people with it. And yeah. my comeback would be they're hitting people with the cane because they're not running into them. Yeah. And, and the longer that cane is, the quicker response time they have. And the quicker response they have, the more time they have to mm-hmm. avoid doing that exactly, you know, hitting someone or running off a curb or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my students knew that if, if they were ready and they wanted to learn cane, that I, and mm-hmm. had canes that were up to yep. the ears or higher. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, they were the ones using the cane. So they had the right to decide that and honestly I felt better about it being longer because it gave them response time so most of my students use longer canes uh they a lot of times it was open palm and just you know either constant contact or two point but most of the time in the snow they used two point and uh, that's because if you were using constant contact and there was a lot of snow it tended to build up and it'd get stuck yeah yeah Uh, I had a lot of, you know, had a lot of students, you know, we'd go on a lot of winter travel, you know, negating the, the piles of snow and figuring out how to go mm-hmm. around them. And again, that's problem solving. Um, yeah. Figuring out, you know, snow mutes a lot mm-hmm. of sound too. So figuring out how it affects the way they hear things and um, then making the proper responses to that. Um, you know, other than that, uh, another modification we did, if they're using the carbon fiber canes, the handles do get cold. And so a lot of times my kids would, you know, get gloves and we just snip the ends off yep. the gloves so that they still had their fingertips out so that, hmm. because if you have a glove on a lot of times those carbon fiber canes, they get slippery. You have those either, either the satin gloves or the. Even those magic gloves, the knit gloves, they, I mean, it makes the carbon fiber real slippery. Um, so because of those two reasons, then, of course, if your hand's cold, it 
makes it harder. So they would use gloves and just snip the ends off of them. Um, sometimes they only had to snip the end off of your um, index finger because after, I mean, that's basically what you use when you're, you're using your open palm technique. Again, making sure that, you know, your canes, all the stuff that pertains to any other time, you know, making sure that you're in the middle of your body and um, that you're, uh, you know, not moving your wrist and everything because that puts you off balance. I mean, all those same things that you do any other time of year. Um, so not really a Can lot Can you talk about night travel? Because that was, like, a big thing for me. Like, I used to not feel comfortable. Like, when I, this is when I was younger, obviously. I used to not be comfortable traveling at night whatsoever at all. And it wasn't until yeah, college that I took you more know, some kids that, that have okay, diagnoses that make it harder to see at night. They're less comfortable unless they, you know, been practicing. And a lot of times, you know, once they realize that, mm-hmm. you know, if they have some experience under sleep shades and they feel comfortable with that, then the nighttime stuff isn't, mm-hmm. isn't so scary. Um, a lot of times those landmarks and yep. keys that they're mm-hmm. using at night don't exist. Uh, a lot of times you're in a bigger city, they actually signal lights during certain, you know, like after 8 o'clock, the signal lights go to, you know, green light one way and red light the other way, um, you know, perpendicular traffic. So that those sorts of things will affect how you travel. Um, you're Sounds obviously, you're not going to have as much traffic in certain areas. Um, honestly, with night yep. travel, with yep. me, a lot of times it was safety factor as far as, and I'm not saying that I think that girls and boys are any different, but you know, I used to always emphasize to my students that you know, if you are a single girl and you're walking, you need to make sure that you're walking where there's lots of people. You know, you don't want to be taking those shortcuts around alleys and stuff at night because uh, you know sometimes unsavory people hang out in those areas. Those are the things that you need to be safer with. Um, as far as you know, the, the diagnoses such as you know if you have RP or one of the retinal dystrophies that makes it harder to see at night. Um, you know, I was known to going out at night with students. Because if that's what it takes for them to get comfortable with it. And normally it just ends up being nothing at all. And they realize, hey, I can handle this and we're okay. Um, but realizing those things and what things, you know, to do different. And, um, I kind of jokingly used to tell John, you know, well, if one of our girls wants a dog when they're in college, wouldn't be so bad because then when they're walking home late at night, if some creep comes up, the dog will be there. <laughs> <laughs> but, Can uh, you explain what yes. two touch or two tap or whatever that term was? Two point touch. Yeah. Um, two point touch. Yeah. There's different techniques, uh, different ways of using the cane. You've got your, you know, your constant contact is basically just a sweeping of your cane from left to right. Um, you don't raise it off the ground. You have your two point, which is, you know, when you tap with your left, you step with your right foot. And then when you step with your left foot, you tap with your right, you know, about one inch off the ground. Um, okay. and about one inch the direct of your body, make sure you're covering, you know, one inch to the left and one inch to the right past your body. You've got, um, 
touch and drag, which is you'll tap like you'll tap on the left and then slide or sweep your cane to the right, lift it, tap to your left, sweep. And that would be like if you're following a curb or something, looking for a um, a curb cut to go up on. You've got your three point touch, which would be if again you could be using it if you were following, you're walking in the street and trailing a sidewalk. You tap with your left, tap to your right, one inch above the ground and then it'll hop up on the curb and you'll tap once up on the curb um oh. there's um oh um they call it like a touch and slide which is basically you tap your cane and it slides forward and again that's just like if you're looking for a ledge somewhere um in front of you and you can find it that way with that and, and a lot of these methods can be used all you know at all times um it's getting late i'm trying to think of which ones i'm forgetting i i think i covered most of them um you know and it depends on what type of cane and and what type of tip you use like if you have a uh, say an old like an ambitech um with a pencil tip um those tips uh are they're good during the snow because if you did need to catch your, um, you know, they tend to stay where you, you tap it. And so you can catch yourself if you slide. But they catch in sidewalk cracks real bad. Yeah. Yeah. I used to get, I used to like poke myself yeah. in the stomach. And you want to, you know, kids poke themselves in their stomach and they poke themselves in the stomach most of the time because they're using um, your pencil grip and you have a pencil tip and you're not using open palm technique obviously so that you're taught when you have like a carbon fiber and you're you still have it in the center of your body that right. when you do end up sticking somewhere you just move your hand so your cane raises up and it doesn't gouge you in the stomach and when you have a in a, in a pencil grip there's nowhere for that handle to go but right in your stomach. So that's why you know, open palm is so much better because the cane will literally, you can release it so that the cane slides between your fingers and it moves up in the air instead of down in your gut. Um, but, you know, so, and pencil tips are, aw- you know, they're awful. They're awful in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of spots. They're awful going in, you know, on grass. Um, yes. Yeah, because they, they, so, yeah, pencil tips, you know, there's, I don't have a lot of good things to say about, say for pencil tips, but um, other than the fact that they are good if you need to use your cane for more than one thing, and that's for basically catching you if you slide on ice, um, then pencil tips are okay. So, yeah, there's, you know, and again, that's, it's one of those things where you, it's not the vision, it's, Knowing your position in space and being able to catch yourself, um, and you know, make just brace yourself or either do one of two things either fall on your butt without and don't you put your hands down so you don't hurt your wrist, or um, being able to catch yourself and stopping yourself from falling. <laughs> I don't know which one's better on the body. I think both ends up hurt, hurting in the long run, but, um, uh, but the, uh, you know, anyway, and then there's, you know, your glider tip, 
uh, for canes, which are 100% better. I don't care if they're on an Ambutech or a carbon fiber. Carbon fiber, of course, is lighter weight and get more feedback. In fact, one of my daughters and I were having this discussion tonight about how she needs to get a rigid cane and she doesn't want one. And I told her, well, that's unfortunate because she's getting one. <laughs> so, so anyway, so the, the, the saga continues. Um, but with glider tips, they don't get stuck in cracks as often. They're great when you're going across grass. Um, the only negative, and I don't think it's a negative, but some people might, is, you know, they're a little bit noisier. You know, you'll get the, the kids kind of self-conscious about that and want to make that sound in the hallway. And my position on that is, well, then fine, don't tap it so, or so hard. <laughs> you know, you don't need to make everybody hear you. But um, it provides great feedback for, you know, echolocation and stuff. And it, it's, they're phenomenal. And you can put them on either an Ambutech or a carbon fiber or even a rain shine or any other cane you want to. Okay. Oh, you brought up echolocation. Do you want to talk about echolocation oh. a little bit? <laughs> what do you want to know about echolocation? Well, do you want to do you want to let our listeners know like what echolocation is and how people use it? Um. Echolocation is using both sound as it bounces off objects around you and, believe it or not, air pressure um, to locate objects in your environment. You can do it either via um, you know, a- active echolocation and, um, oh, sorry, there's a clock. Um either by active, um, and there's been, yeah, there's clock, good old clock. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's some kids that have, or, and adults that have become quite um, phenomenal at, at using techniques like clicking. Yep. Um, to yeah. look objects. Um, and then there's others that are able to use it um, with, you more of a passive way and and using more like not only echolocation but they call it sound masking which is not only the pressure of the air and the sound of things in in around you but also what you don't hear because objects are in the way and by this i would mean you are listening for traffic but you're having a hard time hearing the traffic coming from your right. And you realize that the reason that you're not hearing that traffic is because there's a big, huge tractor trailer parked there. And it is literally, mat because of its low sound of its engine that is running, you hear that engine sound and it is masking the sound of traffic. So... You know, that, and they call that sound masking. Um, there's some people that are really, really effective at using echolocation. There's some people that get around really well. I have a problem um, when they say things like, oh, 
you know, a cane, I can get around using echolocation, so I don't need a cane. Well, echolocation is normally useful from about waist level up. Mm -hmm. So by that, I mean, if you're walking down the street and you're using echolocation, you might be able to stop and realize that there's a branch hanging down in front of you. And that will be great. But echolocation is not going to tell you that there's a flight of stairs in front of you. In my opinion, I would much rather you have a cane and then use echolocation as just, you know, a useful tool if you have the ability to do it. Not everybody does. And realize that, you know, oh, it's nice. I didn't get smacked by that branch but because I had this cane I was able to find the stairs in front of me and I didn't die (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly because that branch isn't going to hurt you real bad I mean you're not going to die but going down that stairs because you don't have your cane might kill you Um, I I have one child that has in my opinion very useful echolocation and that's, you know, my daughter, Katie. And I have watched her in, now, I'm not going to lie. These are semi-familiar wow. environments. And one of them would be her school. Because I would go down there and just see her running across, you know, the school. And it would be one of those things where she didn't have her cane. So, of course, as a mom, I'm sitting there thinking, where, where in the world's her cane? But. I will watch her, and she will run, and she will put on the brakes, reach out, and tap the wall, zig to the left about two feet, and continue down the hall. (laughs) And I know darn well she didn't see it because she's totally blind. So she felt the pressure change because, and, and it made her stop. She responded how she should have realized, oh, there's where that wall is, zigged and continued on. Should she have had her cane? Yeah, because if there was a kid sitting in front of his locker reading, she would have pegged him. Um, (laughs) You know, but that was useful to her. And, you know, that's great. Um, Is it something that I think a kid should spend their whole life honing in on? No, I, I, I don't think that, I think it's useful. But yeah. I don't think that it's something that's going to make them an entirely better, extremely, you know, any, it's not going to, how would I say that? I don't think that it's going to be such a tremendous skill that it would in any way prevent them from having to use good cane travel skills. I guess that's probably the best way I'd say it. That is so fascinating. And I... I do know where you're coming from, and I always called it um, sensing. I can sense people around me, you know, and I never realized that was because of the air change. And um, one instance that I can think of where that comes into play is uh, when I'm at my mom's, they have a cat, and I can tell when the cat is around me because all of a sudden, yeah, the air change does feel different. And I'll be like, um, if he's, like, near yeah. me, like, walking behind me on the couch and stuff, I'll kind of look around and I'll be like, oh, I bet that's the cat, you know? And so um, 
that's pretty a pretty incredible uh, um, I can't think pretty incredible um, explanation for for that being something that um, we do notice well every and everybody everybody does it to some extreme they just don't know what they're doing um, I mean, I caught myself two weeks ago. I had bent under the table and was getting something. Something had fallen, and I went and got it. And then I went to raise my head up, and I stopped at the last moment and reached up, and I wasn't out from under the table yet. Ooh, yeah. You know, so then I moved myself out. I mean, but nobody's going to spend 30 or 40 minutes psychoanalyzing why I did it. (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah, but that's, exactly. that's what it is. I felt something in front on top of me and I realized, oh boy, maybe I better get out from under the table. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so. Yep. I find uh, sound masking useful. Like if it's, you know, yeah. like let's say if I'm in a dark place. It is. And, and there's some people that are really good at it because they do practice it. Uh, but again, it's not going to in any way replace good cane skills. That's where I could find it useful. No, 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 definitely not. I just thought of something else, too. Um, uh, we will talk about this a lot more in our next episode. Again, spoiler alert. But, um, Heather, I do want to say this again, actually. Uh, a lot of people assume that everybody who's blind should have a dog and a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is before you even think about putting your hand on a harness handle and getting a dog is you have to have good good O&M skills and I know I know that you have a story about that so do you want to talk to us a little bit about that well I just I I, yeah I've had several experiences um you know, a lot of people don't realize the difference between cane travel and um, using a dog guide. And there's always the person that insists that getting a dog guide is going to make their bad O&M skills better. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can't emphasize how wrong that is. Um, number one, if you can't figure out where you're going and you don't know how to tell your dog to get there, you know, not like, oh, go down to the liquor store, but like, um, you know, I need to go to this, this building. If you are not able to get there yourself, you're not going to be able to teach your dog how to get there. Mm-hmm. Number two is dogs are obstacle of, uh, avoiders. And a cane is an obstacle finder. Your cane uses landmarks and cues to locate where you are in your environment. And on the basis of finding these items, you're able to orient yourself and continue on. That dog is going to avoid those landmarks and cues. It's going to do everything it has to to go around them so that you never find them. And for a person that has used a cane all their life and 
relies on those landmarks and cues, which is what you do with, you know, good skills. Um, and then all of a sudden to realize that you're no longer finding those because the dog is not letting you find them. It can be very disorienting. Yeah. Um, I remember a student that had very good O&M skills and she decided that the next step was to go get a dog and um, first week home with the dog she called and she was very upset Um, she wasn't able to find her classes and she didn't know what was going on because she had been at this university for three years so went down there and realized that the dog was completely walking her across and down and away from the buildings that she was trying to find. And here she was trying to find where she was supposed to turn so that she could tell the, you know, show the dog and to go into the building. And the dog was was completely taking her away from those landmarks and cues that she was so desperately looking for. Um, and you know, within a week of having the dog home, she yep. returned it. She could not learn to travel using a new way of learning, a new way of traveling with a dog. She could not grasp it and she could not make herself comfortable with it. And, um, exactly. you know, that's why I, uh, and I see this a lot, and it makes me very, very happy. You know, you'll see people yeah. that have dog guides, but they have their cane with them. Because they know that they have to teach the dog where they want to go. And yeah. unless you can, you know, teach that dog where it's supposed to go, it's going to have no clue where you want to go. And if and if you don't have a clue where you want to go, you guys are up a creek. Mm-hmm. Um, another pro- uh, thing that I see a lot of times is young kids getting dogs. Um, and unfortunately, it seems that the schools are now doing even younger than they used to. I mean, I met a kid at 15 that had a dog, or 14, 14 or 15. And in fact, I had a student that had one and she couldn't even, I mean, the dog was so much bigger than her that when she would bring it to school, she had to bring it to my room because she couldn't hold it back. Oh, boy. Well, uh, and and I can say seeing I as now doing younger and younger, I've heard 15, well, maybe 14 now. Really? Wow. I've always thought it was 16. Yeah, the 16 is normally the minimum. But in my opinion, 16 is even too young. And <laughs> non-traditional skills or non, you know, non-traditional classes I used to hold for my students. Um, we had a class on um, what would you do if. And every single semester... One of the topics was, what will you do if you have a dog guide and you want to go to prom? Or what will you do if you want to go to homecoming and you have a dog guide? 
And you know, always hear the kids, oh, we'll just have my parents watch it. Wrong answer. What do you mean wrong answer? Wrong answer. It's a baby. You know, dogs are like having a baby. You're responsible for it, not your mom and dad. So you get to bring your dog to prom. <laughs> and they were like, are you serious? I'm like, hey, if you think you're old enough to have a dog, think you're old enough to take care of it, well, guess what? Your dog is going to come to prom with you. Mm-hmm. You know, they would sit there and think about it. Well, I don't want to have to take my dog everywhere. Well, then maybe you don't want to be getting one yet. Yeah. Responsibility. It is. Yeah, yeah. that's why I, it's important to, and they have to want it and be responsible. I love dogs. I have seen some great handlers. I've seen dogs do some great teamwork. But the, you know, the person has to have good skills and they have to be mature enough. And... Exactly. They have to know what they're getting into, you know. And um, I don't think a lot of kids, even 16-year-olds, know exactly what all that entails. That's a good point. So, but that's the end on that. I just, um, you know, I think dogs are great. I think, you know, they're a good tool. But they're just that. They're a tool. Yeah, they're not for everybody. That's for sure. I just wanted to touch on it a little bit, not very extensively, because we're saving that for our next episode. But um, I, the reason why I wanted to touch up on it a little is because a lot of people assume that just because you're blind, you get a dog. And I've, ha- I've, I've had people come up to me either when I'm walking to go somewhere or I'm on the bus. They're like, hey, uh... My dad just recently lost his vision, and I'm thinking about, I want to know where, where he can get a dog. Like, do you, do you know anything about that? And the first thing I tell them is, listen, the first thing your dad has to do before he even gets a dog is he needs to learn how to use a cane. And he needs to learn how to travel independently because the dog doesn't know where to go. Yeah. And he has to become... Fine with who he is and confident in who he is and know that, you know, these are things that have to be taught, but he can learn them. And a person who's newly blind has a lot of stuff they need to think about. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, as, as with anybody, you don't want to throw something new in with a whole bunch of other changes going on. It's very overwhelming. I just thought of this, um... A lot of people who just become blind, they have a really hard time, or even if they were blind their whole life, like, um, have have enough sight to get around, really should be using a cane. Um, they, they won't, and there's a lot of reasons, like, um, pride and not being treated the... Um, being treated differently out in public and just not wanting to be, um, you know, stand out and draw attention to yourself. And That was me for a very long time. I really wish people who are in that phase would think of the safety risks it's imposing. Yeah. And um, lots of times, you know, people will be a lot nicer to you if 
you're walking and your cane bumps into them rather than if you run into them or they'll it's like an explanation for your behavior because there are some low vision people Mm -hmm. who have um have to look very closely to things and when you're in a store looking really closely to things well that's that's a way to stand out um as well i mean either either way you're you're standing out why not have a tool at your disposal that will um kind of explain that without you having to and be helpful at the same time 100 percent. i always tell my i always tell my kids and the students you know a lot of your behaviors make it pretty obvious and you're not hiding it from anyone and there's nothing wrong with it and if you're not okay with yourself then it, it almost makes it okay for everybody else to not be. You know what I mean? In their yeah. opinion. In their opinion. You need to be okay with who you are before you can expect other people to. And I also tell people that, you know, how you feel about yourself has a direct correlation with how other people treat you. You go in there, you know, unsure and making excuses for yourself and apologizing. That's like opening a floodgate because they realize, hey, this person isn't okay with who they are. What do you say to those who have the um, have the explanation where they'll be like, well, I, I don't need it inside. Or I only used it outside. I don't really need to have it inside. Or if they're with other friends with canes, well, you guys have a cane, mm-hmm. so I don't need to bring mine out. What do you is do it, in that, that case? Is it a kid or an adult? An adult. Because mm-hmm. if it's a kid, as the adult, unfortunately for them, you can just basically say, well, this this is not a decision. You, know, you are make, not making a wise decision, and so as the adult, until you can make a wise decision, we're going to have to do what adults do, and we're going to have to help me help you make those decisions. They don't like that, but you know, unfortunately, you know, they're a kid, and and that's why adults are, are around us to make sure that they're making the right the right decisions. Right. I remember. Sorry for interrupting. Um, but I I want to add something. I I that was me for a long time when I was like 14 15 years old um i was just like no i don't need to use a cane i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine like i don't need to use it inside i'm fine and my best friend's mom once told me she's like hey she's like i i noticed that you have issues with stairs and you know she's like i know a cane a cane will help you she's like maybe you should try using it and i was just kind of like you know, you know how you know how it goes. Sometimes when you listen to advice, it goes in one ear, it goes out the other, right? Uh, what do you? Uh, how, where did I remember you? What was the thing you used to do that I remember? Walk into a room and say hello. <laughs> <laughs> she'd go to a room and she'd be hello. <laughs> oh, why was that? <laughs> Just to know who was there, like. <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> um that, that was many eons ago, but <laughs> God, so I know I was 16 years I, old. I, 
Yeah. I knew her as the hello girl. I know. She's a friendly greeter. (laughs) Yes. And then I remember on another occasion, my best friend's mom told me, what if you were with somebody and they got into a car accident and you didn't have your cane? How are you going to cross the street? And that really made me think. And then it wasn't until college where I was just kind of like, okay, either I'm going to accept it and learn to be okay with myself and use my cane wherever I go and not, you know, caring about who's looking, who isn't looking or what they're thinking and just do it, you know? And I know, Heather, you, do you, do you have anything else to add? I don't know. The school with my students, it was, it was written in their IEP that they were to use it and that they were to use it at school. And that it was my desire that they valued themselves enough that they chose to be safe and that they realized that there's nothing wrong with taking responsibility for themselves and and keeping themselves safe. And that, you know, until that time, they had, you know, to rely on the fact that it was in their IEP, therefore they had to use a cane at school. And that hopefully someday they would realize that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a confident, capable person who is blind and uses their cane. And after so many years, you know, at least I I hope that many of my students, a lot of them are still using them. So (laughs) Um, as far as adults, um, you know, I don't have as much experience. I mean, I've worked with several adults, and it's hard. Um, you know, I've worked with a couple of uh, veterans, uh, and they have to come to the point to where they're willing to either they get extremely fed up and don't like the fact of how small their world has become, or they get to the point where they realize that, you know, they still have kids or wives or husbands that rely on them and that they owe it not only to them, but to themselves to get the skills they need so that they can go on with their lives. And, uh, you know, there's kind of that adage where it says, if you want to be successful, then you have, then you surround yourself by with successful people. Or if there's something that you want to learn or you want to be, you surround yourself with those types of people. And once they get to that point, that's the point that, that you know, you start introducing them to other people that, um, you know, that you, they can bounce questions off of. And, and um, I mean you know, going out there and showing them how to use one. Normally adults, you know, they can figure out, the, uh, you know, figure out most of it on their own. And once that take, gets that, that taste in their mouth and they realize this isn't as hard as I was thinking it was and I no longer am caring about what other people are thinking because once they see that I'm okay with me, then this cane isn't going to matter to them. And if matter to them then they're the type of people I shouldn't be hanging around with anyway and usually then 
they're willing to listen and, and get things going. Um, we're working with a couple people right now and you know, it just took it took them getting wow. to that point to where they were tired of they're tired of their lives not being the way they want them to be and once they realize that they can be that way um, you know then they're willing to, to talk I mean there's, there's a, a couple people that you know, we've been in contact with it. You know, they've been calling for three years, and you know, this is the third year, and finally, they're they're done with not. You know, they're done with not being involved with their kids like they were. You know, not being the husband or the wife they want to be. And they have questions, they want answers, and boy, I tell you, we've got lots of people that can give them answers. So it's also hard when the uh, let's say that the the rest of their family is cited and if they don't support them using a cane either or they'll be like, oh, you don't need that. Put it away and act embarrassed because of that person using their cane. It that's a incredibly difficult obstacle to face and makes the blind person not want to use their cane even more because they don't want to upset their family mm-hmm. and it's 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 hard getting through to the family that it isn't about you you know it's it's about them if you truly care about them you'll want them to have something that makes them um capable and safe and you know you've got to i you don't have to but, I mean, I'm going to have another way of looking at that. I think a lot of times the family justifies the behavior because they think that you, whoever, you know, the husband or the wife, the person that's blind, they're not ready to hear that. And they don't want to push them away or they don't want to. You know, and, and again, none of this is correct. It's just the way, you know, family doesn't want to hurt each other. And so they just try to justify a vicious cycle of, you know, not right. pushing the, you know, oh, I'm not going to force them to use their cane because they don't want this. Or I'm not going to force them to learn Braille because they're not going to this. And... What it comes down to is the eventually is is the blind person having enough confidence in themselves and getting the skills they need, and once the family realizes that look that's what's best for them, then usually everybody gets you know is okay. Um, as a teacher, I mean, I remember I broke I broke lots of parents' hearts by telling them simply that their child was blind. And you know, I mean, in, inside, you know, I want to say, what are you crying about? Your child is intelligent, beautiful, popular, active, everything any parent could dream of. They just happen to be blind. But that's not what the parent wants to hear. The parent wants to be wants to hear that their child is not blind. And as the vision teacher, when you tell them that they are blind, it breaks their heart. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, but all of my students were Braille students. Um, they're Braille students because I never wanted one of my students to not be able to go to college because plain and simple. And if I did my job and they were taught Braille, it, you know, if they chose not to use it, that, you know, that was their decision. I remember one mom and, you know, her daughter at three years old, it was so, you know, up in third and fourth grade testing levels. I mean, just phenomenally intelligent, bright, beautiful, inquisitive girl. And, um, you know, when I said that she was blind, you know, mom and dad both were broken hearted. And then when I said, you know, we're going to start teaching Braille, that was even worse in, in their opinion, you know. But fourth grade came around and she was already reading, you know, in Braille, second, third grade level, you know, did great in Braille Olympics and. You know, the whole kit and caboodle, you know, mom came to me and said it was you were, it was the right call and we're okay with it. And she loves Braille and she's great. And I said, yeah, hey, she's doing awesome. Who would have thought, you know, like. <laughs> um, but that doesn't always happen, you know. I mean, very rarely do you parents come to you and say thank you for telling me my daughter had to learn braille you know but you know it does happen so it was it's good and adults eventually they realize you know my son needs to learn braille or you know my husband needs to learn how to use a cane and once he learns how to use a cane, then he'll feel confident in himself. And when he feels confident in himself, he'll either go out and get employment or go to college or be dad he needs to be, you know, and be able to go get his kids at school and or be able to go get me French fries or, you know, I, I have yeah. a joke with my kids. You make sure if you're, you know, they, you know, my son, be why are you pushing the cane on me when he was in junior high school? Because when your wife's pregnant and she wants French fries at two in the morning, I want you to be able to get them. <laughs> he just said, there, what? I said, no. <laughs> my husband's like, don't even ask where that came from. <laughs> well, it came <laughs> 2 a.m., I want French fries. <laughs> he had to get them. That's oh, so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can think of. Um, that was a pretty, pretty informative and, and great conversation we had with you. Thank you for absolutely helping us out yes. and explaining you, that. Yes. Thanks for having me. I hope I answered some of your questions. Do you have anything else that you want oh, to add? I think that's it. Sorry, I talked to you off. <laughs> no, no, not at all. You, you're always a pleasure to talk to. We love talking to you. Oh, thanks, you girls, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thanks a lot for joining us, and we'll definitely keep you posted when the episode is out for sure, so you can okay. listen and share. Sounds good.
See you in a couple weeks. Yes. 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 Likewise. Yes. Have a good night. You too. Bye. 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 All right, folks. Well, that was um, our second guest, Heather Fritz. Um, it was wonderful to have her. And now that you guys already know, already have learned about orientation and mobility and know what it is and why it's so useful, I think we're going to end the episode here. Unless, Kimberly, you I have think anything else to say? we just about covered it. All right. Well, that's it for now. Thank you so much to our guests for joining us today. And thank you to our audience for listening. You can definitely find us on iTunes and Google Play as usual. And we are now on TuneIn. So you can find us on TuneIn as well. Just search This Is What Blind Looks Like podcast and you'll find us there. Also, please like the Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at Blind Looks Like. Please, I really do want to see a little bit of more activity on the Twitter page. Uh, you can also email us at this is what blind looks like pod at gmail.com. Please feel free to ask us any questions you may have about ourselves or about blindness or just anything, and we'll do our best to answer it. Uh, we also want to start doing a little bit called Ask a Blind Person. So we really, really need your help on that. So if you have any questions for us about anything, uh, we'll definitely answer those when we do that. I just really want to see a little more activity. Yeah, about the Ask a Blind Person, we really want our listeners to be more engaged and if there's experiences you'd like us to share um that have to do with any of the topics that we've we've mentioned if there's something that we've mentioned that you're still unclear about or that you want us to give examples of how we use that like for instance like we've talked about um different apps that we use and today we talked about cane travel if there's anything in more detail you want to know like what does the app that you mentioned in um your episode three what is that useful for or if you have a question where you just want to know how to do something and if we have an answer for that like if you're having problems with a day-to-day task or something, we just might be able to point you in the right direction. Um, pass us along to your friends and family, and even if you're not blind, give us a listen. Um, tell your friends and family, and if you know anyone who's going through losing vision, please encourage them to listen to us. They will learn something new. We guarantee it. And, oh, I just thought of this. Maybe we should tell our listeners about the free white cane. Oh, yeah. So if you're looking to get a free white cane for either a loved one who just recently lost their vision or if you have a blind child or if you just lost your vision, the NFB has a free white cane program. Uh, You just go to their website, nfb.org, and you can find a link for the free white cane. And uh, you do have to be blind in order to get a free white cane. But they are available. Don't Can't you get one 
every year or maybe even every six months, I want to say. Yeah, every year, yes, that's right. So, because um, canes break and, and we grow and it could be a multiple of reasons why you need a new one. And I'm sure people don't get one every single, a new one every single year. They, they do last. But just know that that's out there, that we don't want you to feel the obligation of getting a cane to interfere with your pocketbook. And so we do our best as the National Federation of the Blind. They do their best to um, provide those who need a cane a cane. And be glad you have that cane. Use it. I hope you got some inspiration in this episode and that makes we help you feel or your uh, loved ones feel a little more comfortable using one there's no shame i dare you to go out and um use it a little more each each time you you go out or a little more each week it'll only benefit you so go and try that and um, Angie, is there anything else you wanted to add? Yes, actually, oh my god, I feel bad for making this, like, ending a little too long, but I do wanted to say that instead of us releasing monthly episodes now, we're gonna be releasing them every other month, and that is because, as I said before, we have taken on other things aside from this podcast, but... Don't worry, have no fear. We will still bring you really good episodes with great information. And we're even going to try to have like little segments that are a little personal. So you can get to know us as the people that we are. And you get to know what we like and what we don't like. And that sort of thing. We want to make this fun. We want to make this a fun podcast as well as informational. So thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for all the love and support and tune in next time.